Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Cargo of Bricks. Now this week we turn our gaze southwards and backwards to last February's tumultuous Irish general election, to Sinn Féin's great leap forward and to the dilemma now faced by three separate political parties who've tasked themselves with the job of pulling together Ireland's next government. And to help me unpack some of those dilemmas, I'm joined by Professor Gary Murphy from Dublin City University. To say that the result in uh, the 8th of February was unexpected is, the, is a bit of an understatement, Gary. Just talk us through really the main themes of what happened in that election um, and, and how it all panned out. Something happened in the two months up to the calling of the election uh, and political scientists like myself were still trying to figure it out. There are a number of issues. One, certainly housing and health, Sinn Féin, did you know did make some significant inroads with their solutions which are state-led uh you know unquestionably state-led it's an old-fashioned type of social democratic view that the state should build houses and that the state should abolish private health care uh but they weren't the only party doing that so we just can't say that that was why Sinn Féin broke through there was a big um, controversy over uh, a Royal Irish Constabulary commemoration uh, in January just before uh, the T-shirt Leo Varadkar called the election. Um, but into the election itself, you know... We had that, to... Just before you move on on that one, Gary, I think that's a really interesting one, the RIC mm. commemoration, which was proposed and then I think miscommunicated quite badly by Charlie Flanagan um, just before the election campaign was called. And it seemed to me that nobody really was in control of that story. Fianna Foyle didn't know what to do about it because it's been trying to plot this pluralist kind of, if you like, North-friendly, unionist-friendly um, position, which is, you know, in line with its brokering of the Good Friday Agreement, but not necessarily its own historical uh, view of, say, the War of Independence and before that, uh, after that, the Civil War. Um, and it seemed to me that it discombobulated almost everybody except Sinn Féin, who managed to kind of walk in and just kind of wrap their arms around this narrative they've been trying to sell in the republic but but not really finding any buyers for yeah i mean if that uh, if that controversy had erupted in midterm let's say it probably would have been a you know a two-week story and would have disappeared um when charlie fanagan announced it and i remember he announced it sort of unilaterally uh it had he had an agreement from the uh the state's commemoration committee there was a dispute there um Nobody paid it terribly much notice until the Fianna Fáil mayor of Clare, a chap called Cockle Crow, who was later elected TD for Clare, uh, said he wouldn't attend the ceremony. I was rather sceptical, I must say, but I was persuaded by the editor of the journal.ie, it's a very widely read site, uh, as you would know, Mick, in the Republic, Sinead or Carl, who told me on a radio show um, that they had double the amount of readers on a story about the cancellation than they had, for instance, on a very popular political story uh, when Maria Bailey, you might remember, got herself into difficulty over a compensation claim uh, she had lodged and then um, 
got herself into difficulty with the Fine Gael party so much so that they deselected her. Uh, so there was yeah. a wide readership and a wide um, people were interested in the story. And it did so, uh, the first week of the campaign, I think. And Mary Lou was very strong on it. And Sinn Féin got a, certainly a very big boost out of it. No, no doubt about it. And Fianna Fáil, paradoxically, although it was their candidate and Clare who brought it up, didn't get much of a boost. In many ways, this is the story of the election. Um, they were hoping to win a second seat there. But Crow basically ended up taking Dooley's seat. Uh, and Sinn Féin, rather amazingly, won a seat in uh, in Clare. Uh, Violet Rin was the candidate and who got herself into some difficulty afterwards about a story relating to uh, payment or non-payment of rent uh, over the course of... Uh, uh, the last number of years. Um, but no one had given her a chance. No one gave her an absolute iota of a chance. And she she topped the poll and got 9,000 and odd votes. I mean, th- and that's the extraordinary nature of this uh, this election. We saw, you know, people often say to me, you know, what, uh, why do people vote the way they do in Ireland? Is it party attachment? Is it personality? Is it local issues? Is it austerity in the post-2008 uh, era? And certainly in 2020, there is abundant evidence that being part of the Sinn Féin uh, team was really significant. I mean, you have Rin, you had a candidate in Kildare who was on holidays during the election. Uh, You had Sinn Féin winning seats where they'd never won seats before. So, Gary, that's fascinating. Um, But... Really, what are the um, the dilemmas now that have that these three major parties, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and the Greens, are having to resolve? That's taken five months. Yeah, so it, it's a numbers game. There's a tyranny in the numbers here, Mick, and it's as follows: uh, there are 160 uh, seats in uh, Dáil Éireann. You need 80 um, for a majority with the, with the Ciúncorla uh, being the, the 81st, uh, and um, they're miles away, all three parties, Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Uh, Sinn Féin have 37 seats, Fianna Fáil have 37 seats and Fianna Gael have 35 seats. So, and they're the three biggest parties, remember. So to get from 37 to 80, is a uh, that's a long way to go. Particularly when both Fianna Fáil and uh, Fianna Gael ruled out automatically after the election uh, entering into any sort of coalition with uh, with Sinn Féin, and we've seen we've seen a couple of stages in the negotiations. First of all, between Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, and when they've got to a point where they think they've got enough of a shared agenda, they've then tried to shoehorn more laterally um, the Greens into it. But what are the dilemmas? What are the political dilemmas facing two parties that have been? Uh, desperate rivals, really, since the beginning of the state. I mean, Fianna Fáil found it very difficult in 2016 to even support Fianna Gael in confidence and supply. So no one should be under any illusion that it's difficult for Fianna Fáil and also for Fianna Gael to coalesce with the with the bitter enemy. Now, people sometimes say, well, what's the difference? And are they really Tweedledum and Tweedledee? To an extent, they're both centrist parties. Fianna Gael is slightly on the centre-right I always had a much more powerful belief in private enterprise than Fianna Fáil. Who, Fianna Fáil were the great statists of Ireland. Um, they believe in the power of the state to, for instance, build houses in the 1930s. 
They built, whole, they built a whole raft of social housing in the big cities, Dublin and Cork in particular. They did it again in the post-war uh, era in the 1950s, although you had huge emigration, 60,000 people a year emigrating uh, from the Irish Republic, mostly to Britain. Um, uh, and so we shouldn't underestimate the difficulties uh, involved. There are historical factors, but there are, I think there are um, some, some policy factors, principally amongst them is is housing. Housing with health were the two main issues in the campaign uh, and Fianna Fáil has always had a much more status view of uh, of building houses uh, than Fianna Gael which has mostly preferred to leave it to uh, to the market. I remember Simon Coveney on Morning Ireland in 2017, I think around this time, around April, May saying by the end of 2017 there'll be nobody uh, in a hotel room. Uh, and there are now still ten thousand people three years later, and so that we should take it. That's a very important uh, issue. And as far as we know, and I think I can speak with some authority here, the government negotiations between Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, and now the Greens, uh, housing is still a difficulty. It's a it's a big difficulty. Fianna Gael, I don't think, uh, are as convinced as Fianna Fáil and the Greens that you can simply have the state uh, build houses because the state has built houses before. Uh, and which they quickly became ghettoized. Anyone who travelled through Ballymun, where I worked myself in the university in DCU, you know, they 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 built them in the sixty high rises, uh, and they were a social disaster. Um, the deprivation has taken decades to uh, to overcome. Which... And I think one thing we could say about the February election was there wasn't an awful lot of nuance around this, in a sense. There was a bit of a bidding war in which Fianna Fáil basically got outbid by um, by Sinn Féin targets that look unrealistic in terms of the fiscal space. But 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 now Fianna Fáil, I, I think Fianna Fáil assumed that there was going to be a face-off just between them and Fianna Gael, and now they, they're caught in this situation where I know there's a lot of reluctance amongst backbench. Uh, Fianna Fáil has been talking at the weekend of uh, basically saying, "Look, we really need to sit this one out, lads, and you know, o o and get rid of Michael Martin and try and start anew." Um, because basically, there is this visceral hatred, dislike of Fianna Gaelers. Um, so that's going to be a bit of a torture for them if if, if these uh, negotiations actually work out. Yeah, but you could say you could say exactly the same for Fianna Gael. I mean, Fianna Gael were rejected by the electorate in February. They got 22% of the vote. Uh, they went from, uh, remember, they got 78 seats in 2011. They were reduced down to 50 in 2016, and now they're at 35. So they're like, the the, the, the chart is only going one way. Um, and there was a view, as there is a strong view within Fianna Gael, that they should sit this one out and leave Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin uh, coalesce with the Social Democrats, Labour, the Greens, whoever, um, because that's what the electorate voted for. Now, the problem there, of course, is that Michal Martin has, in many ways, built his career, um, and certainly a significant part of it, uh, by antipathy towards Sinn Féin. He is by far the strongest voice in Fianna. He's not alone, but he is by far the strongest voice who has no truck with, uh, with Sinn Féin. And anyone just before the lockdown, who saw the day the doll first came back, uh, would see the antipathy between Michal Martin and Mary Lou MacDonald. It was visceral in Dáil Éireann on that day 
both speeches were laced with uh, vitriol is the word I would use, Mick. Um, and it's not going any better. Um, there are some within Fianna Fáil who think a mistake has been made here. They would far prefer to coalesce with Sinn Féin. And if the talks failed uh, and we didn't get a government and there was some sort of abeyance, or uh, potentially maybe a second election to come in a few months' time, there is a cabal in Fianna Fáil who would happily get rid of Hall Martin and would try to coalesce with Sinn Féin, the Greens, the Social Democrats, Labour. Um, because, let's face it, Fianna Gael don't have that many uh, coalition partner alternatives themselves. The Social Democrats rule themselves out. Uh, Labour rule themselves out. Uh, there's a hardcore of leftist independents who won't work with Fianna Gael. So this is the problem. Who will work with who? And I... I must say, I give the Greens some significant credit for at least, you know, to use a baseball analogy, stepping up to the plate and say, yeah, look, we got 12 seats and about 8% of the vote. Uh, we have a, some sort of a mandate. Uh, and can we get into government and, you know, get our, get some of our policies, uh, whether it's beyond transport, whether it be on climate change, uh, reduction in carbon emissions, whether it be on austerity, uh, public housing. So I give them at least some credit for trying to do a deal. Now, whether they can do a deal and the mood music here, Mick, um, as we speak, is not great. Um, there is obviously, as we know, divisions within the Green Party uh, between the leadership. Um, we now have the deputy leader extraordinarily saying she's going to challenge the leader after the negotiations. It's kind of Kafkaesque. It's quite bizarre, but that's the way it's been done. Um, but she is still at the centre of the negotiations. So, you know, we can talk about that if you want, uh, because it's a, it's a big issue about whether the Greens, um, A, will sign up for it, and B, whether they can get it passed. Can you sort of summarise for us a little bit what the, what the challenges and... Moreover, the opportunities for the three parties that are seriously negotiating uh, to, to form a government are, uh, and, and what are the dilemmas they're going to have to grasp? Well, the big difficulty is trying to get some sort of agreement that the three parties can sign up to in good faith that they can present A, to their own party's membership, and then B, to the electorate itself. And that is a huge challenge in the COVID era because all the money that was promised in January and February at the election has dissipated into the pandemic payment uh, to basically keep the economy afloat. Now, Ireland is not unique in this. This is happening all across Europe. So maybe there might be some euro bond uh, into the future that can fix this. But the money that was promised for massive building uh, of houses particularly, but also to fix the perennial difficulties in the health service uh, is not existing and and in one way there is a crisis of democracy here simply because of the government is lasting so long or the current government um, even though three of its members have been uh, voted out of uh, out of the parliament by the people um, so even getting and the story here now is that the document is, is now 100 pages uh, so it seems to be pretty detailed enough but whether it can get past the uh, the memberships is a very difficult issue. The Greens particularly need a two-thirds majority and they've had a lot of recent uh, influx of young people into the party. And these are not just uh, climate activists. These are what we would call in the old days good old hardcore you know, social activists who are worried about poverty, austerity, climate change, homelessness, direct provision 
the big issue here in the Republic. So that, I heard I heard it said their their watermelons green on the outside, red on the inside. That's a very good description, and I think it sums them up. Um, I mean, because there certainly has been a move to the left here in in Ireland since the two thousand and eight crash. Unquestionably, we can see it in the Fine Gael vote, um, and Sinn Fein. You know, whatever they might tell you themselves, uh, they in their in their heart they know their big increase in February was not to do with. You know, the reclamation of the fourth green field or Irish unity or border poles or any of that. It was basically to do with their position on housing and uh, homelessness and the health services. And they had very good spokespeople, Owner Bryn, Louise O'Reilly in health, David Cullinan, Waterford, who got a huge vote, and Mary Lou MacDonald herself. I mean, this is not the Sinn Fein of Jerry Adams, who was a who was a liability, sorry, Mick, in 2011 and in 2016 as leader. Um, this is a different Sinn Féin. It's a, it's, it's, it's a kind of a socialist Sinn Féin. Uh, and that's what was attracting young people uh, to it. That's what attracted those voters in Clare, Kildare, uh, Galway West, all over the all over the country. Um, so that's, that's, that's the first issue for the, for the Greens, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, is negotiating a... A program for government that they can sell to their parties and to the uh, to the electorate. But what's in it for the what's in it for the government parties? Because that all sounds very scary, right? And in some respects, what you say about Sinn Féin, I think, really is what stymied. It, it's the other side of what stymied Fianna Fáil because Fianna Fáil, I think, me and Mihal Martin, I think, you could say, had been carefully trying to build a centre left agenda so that he. His plan, it seems to me, was to, to come in at the end of that and head a centre-left coalition and exclude and push out uh, Sinn Féin. Now it has to go in with small government, traditional small government uh, Fine Gael. Uh, you know, how is, that, how is that going to come together in such a way? And what's their motivation for making it work? So the Fianna Fáil motivation is quite simple. They haven't been in government since 2011 and they want to be back in it. And Michal Martin particularly wants to be Taoiseach. Uh, and yes, you're quite right, Mick. The Fianna Fáil game plan for general election 2020 was predicated on them getting in the high 20s percentage-wise and getting over 55 seats. Some people thought they were going to get 60. I never thought that, but I thought they would get closer to 50 than less than 40 which is what they got uh, and then that was predicated on that big vote would get them a coalition with the greens the social democrats and labor and some independents it would keep Sinn Féin out and it would keep uh, Fine Gael out and of course they didn't get the votes they got a decent first percentage but not enough and they got very little transfers they completely fell apart on the second day of counting at uh, the Monday so What's in it for them? They just got to get into government because if they stay in opposition, they'll become increasingly irrelevant. Um, people voting for the first time in 2020 wouldn't remember the glory days of Fianna Fáil, even in the 90s under Bertie Ahern. And I mean glory days in terms of electoral success and not making any other value judgments. Um, but they'll, they'll become increasingly irrelevant unless they're in government. I, I think that's the, that's the critical point there. For Fianna Gael, I mean, Fine Gael, I think, under Leo Varadkar, would have went into opposition if they thought Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin would, would have got it together with some of the smaller parties. Because, as I said earlier, uh, their vote has collapsed. You know, in 2011, they were close to an overall majority. Now they only have 35 seats. Um, and I do think Fine Gael always has had the sort of 
Now, in one way, many people see it as a superior view, but of standing by the state, uh, and I think they feel, you know, they should be in government. Uh, Simon Coveney particularly is keen to stay in government. Pascal Donoghue the same, um, but there is there is some division in Fine Gael because remember, they know that before the election was called, they had twelve ministers. They're going to go down to six at the most in any coalition, uh, and then. Just to finish the Greens, it's a huge call for them. I mean, there's no getting away from it. This is this is fundamental stuff. 2011, they came out of the 27-11 Fianna Fáil uh, Green government, lost all their six seats, had a disastrous time. The electorate punished them, and Eamon Ryan slowly built them back. But he's got no, he's got no love for it in one way because of this leadership challenge. Uh, but it's a, it's in one way, it's an existential decision. Should we go in and try and make a difference, or should we stay out and snipe uh, from the sidelines? And going in, you know, there are rewards being in government. We've had governments elected in Ireland before, um, but you can bet your bottom dollar the criticism, the vitriol they will get from the opposition, particularly from Sinn Féin, uh, this is for the Greens if they go in, will be extraordinary and they'll have to have tough skins. And I would say, you know, the, the, I think if Captain Martin, who is their chief negotiator and the deputy leader who's challenging Eamon Ryan, if she comes out and says, I am happy to sign up to this deal, I think she will be able to persuade the membership to go along uh, with it. So, I mean, if if... If a deal is done by the parties, I think it will get passed. Uh, but I wouldn't be putting any uh, any significant sums of money or my mortgage on it by any means. So we're we still are remaining in uh, in somewhat perilous waters, Mick. Well, what uh, uh, just a final thought from you, Gary? Uh, and that all sounds like not just an existential uh, decision, but actual political purgatory. <laughs> so who? What's the payoff? Uh, just just. Quickly go go through all three uh, potential government partners and tell us what you think the payoff is going to be for each one. Well, let's start with the Greens. The payoff is can they get the seven percent reduction in uh, in greenhouse gas emissions per annum? Can they get that passed? I mean, they won't get it passed in opposition. That's the first thing. They won't get it passed in opposition. They will have no input into climate change decisions, uh, and it's like that's what. You know, that's what the grown-ups do. They get into power and they, they do things. Uh, and I think that's what they have to do. Uh, Fine Gael, you know, it's it's basically the numbers have fallen that it doesn't allow them to go into opposition, really, um, given their stance with Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil's stance with Sinn Féin. So I think they their view is they sort of have to do it. And they'll worry about the consequences afterwards. Uh, Fianna Fáil, it's Michal Martin's last chance. Uh, he's desperate to be in the Taoiseach's office. And I think going into opposition with a resurgent Sinn Féin offers no hope for Fianna Fáil. So their hope is get in and do a decent job, fix housing, fix health. Uh, these things can be done. Um, and that's that's the payoff, really. And, of course, Leo gets his second term, at least promised second term, uh, as Taoiseach, would, which would be historic. For a Fine Gael show, is that well, correct? Well, no. Like, Enda Kenny was historic in 2016 by becoming the first Fine Gael Taoiseach to be re-elected. And now you'd have Fine Gael in power for a third successive term, which is, uh, again, extraordinary in Irish terms and unprecedented. But, you know, we live in unprecedented times in politics here in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, it all dates back 
the fluidity in Irish politics dates back to the crash. Fianna Fáil, just before the bank guarantee scheme, just to finish on this note, 42% in the polls, won, won 42% in uh, the 2007 election. The latest poll last week gave them 14%, uh, down 7%, 8% from the uh, the general election. The polls here in Ireland are very odd at the moment. Fianna Gael are at 34%, Fianna Fáil are at 14 There's a view in Fianna Gael they should go to the country again. Cargo of Bricks is brought to you by Slugger O'Toole, Northern Ireland's leading source for independent news, insight and analysis. Support us by hitting the donor box button at sluggerotool.com.